This is it, people. This is what you've been waiting for. This is Everyday Celebrity Podcast. The podcast for everyday people with everyday problems trying to find everyday solutions to accomplish everyday goals. Let's start the show. You, 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 welcome to another episode of Everyday Celebrity Podcast, number one podcast in Oakland, number one podcast in the Bay Area, soon to be the number one podcast in London. Hey. Um, today is a special day. We have one of the newest upcoming stuntmen on the rise. He's worked in numerous blockbuster movies, such as Black Panther, Avengers, and the soon-to-be stars TV show, Blind Spotting. He is a capoeira. I don't know if they have black belts, but anyway, he's a he's a fucking capoeira uh, ninja. <laughs> <laughs> he goes by the name of Ricky. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Now, um, well, before we get in, before we get into this interview, I need to. I need to give a shout out to one of my sponsors. Uh, I mean, I have sponsors now, believe it or not. Yeah, Moving this <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Military True Crime Addict. It's a podcast, and if you are searching for a podcast about crime related to actual life events of military personnel, veterans, family members, and those associated with the military in any way. Then you have come to the right place. We welcome you to the Military True Crime Attic podcast, where we will be exploring a plethora of actual true crime stories that have not been reported on by the news outlets or the media. Stories that upon hearing, you will be astounded by. History should have been told and reported too long ago. There will be detailed stories that touch on topics such as assault, harassment, Sexual preference, abuse of power, PTSD, murder, hazing, rape, and all stories and <laughs> all stories that in some way relate to our military veterans and their extended families. Here we provide a voice to the victims and, he- and hear their side of the story. We will raise awareness of the heinous crimes and those most impacted. You do not need to know anything about the military to enjoy this podcast. Our listeners can hear original true crime stories with their specifics of what occurred. Once again, that's the Military True Crime Addict Podcast, and you can hear that on all platforms. Now, back to the uh, to the original. So, Ricky, um, how are you today? I'm doing all right, sir. I'm doing all right. Feeling good. Happy Sunday. Now, you are... Trying to be a stuntman, correct? Yes. Um, I do capoeira. I train capoeira, teach capoeira, and I feel like this is a uh, doing stunt work is a grand opportunity to present capoeira in the media. But first, you have to, you know, pay your dues and using stunt work as like the first stepping stone of getting into the industry. Now, what made you? want to be a stuntman because some people be like oh i want to be an actor or actress and shit like that but most people don't grow up like oh i want to be a a stunt person mm-hmm. um to be honest like since i want to say the first mortal Kombat uh movie i was always uh doing like fight choreography with friends in like the backyard and we would film ourselves uh, mm-hmm. it was we jokingly made a our organization called the uh, Backyard Basement Productions because we always filmed in either the backyard or the basement. And that was back in Detroit, Michigan, before I moved to Oakland. And then um, once I moved to Oakland to follow my path in Capoeira, um, a friend of mine, Larry Leong, who was starting to do more stunt work and actually choreograph fights, uh, he was a part of an organization called Zero Gravity, and we started to, again, like film fight choreography and make our own kind of stories. Um, so that was the start of like the seeds being um, planted. And then just most recently, um, 
realizing that, hey, you know, I do have the talent. I do have something that uh, is unique that I can contribute. So I want to put more effort and uh, nurture that uh, my abilities and stunts. Okay. Now, are there any requirements of becoming a stuntman? Um, you have to put in work and you have to be patient. And I think just like anything, you have to be willing to master your craft. You have to be willing to research, uh, how to not hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to be willing to put in time for the basics, um, and be willing to network, um, and build relationships. I want to say like build, not just make, you know, connections, but build relationships. And some people, uh, you know, just in life, they want to make connections so that they can get to the next step or get to the next level. But I think it's more important to build relationships because those are longer lasting. Now, what was the first uh, role that you that you landed? Uh, the first official role was um, background talent for Black Panther, Marvel Studios' Black Panther. Um, and that was a huge, huge experience. How did you how did you get that? Um, I was a part of a, from Facebook, there's a Black Panther and Storm Appreciation Group, and there was a uh, casting call. Wait, 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 Black Panther and Storm, like the X-Men Storm? Yeah. Facebook group where um, this uh, group, they just put out everything um, from uh, Black-oriented characters, from comic books to TV. Uh, Storm is Black? Storm, yeah. <laughs> I know she's black in the movie, but is she black in the in the magazine? I mean, in the comic. Yeah. I thought she was white. Uh, Storm, yeah, Storm. She's from Kenya. She's African. Uh, yeah, both both of them are African. That's um, crazy. At yeah. least she's from a real place in Africa. Well, she should have fucking made it rain in Africa where them niggas needed water and shit. <laughs> so that's fucked well, up, Storm. Right. (laughs) But anyway, continue. Yeah. So from the Facebook group, there was a casting call posted there and they were looking for African or African-American people. And if you had any sort of martial art, dance or um, music background, that was a plus. Mm -hmm. And I do capoeira and that is a combination of all those things. So I decided to take a shot and flew out to Atlanta and I was able to land a role, a small role um, on Black Panther. So you you flew out there to audition. You didn't like uh, fucking send them a tape of you and then they asked you to come? No, I flew out there. I slept in the airport for my layover. Um, and then the next day, um, went to the audition, waited in line and... Just a interesting story. Like I have my beating bow here, my um, capoeira instrument. And I was bringing that to a friend who was also in Atlanta for the audition. And I brought it uh, to her because she had bought it from me because it comes from Brazil. And the casting director uh, saw me and her with some instruments. She was like, oh, are you guys going to do like a performance? And I was like, we can. She's mm. like, okay, I'll be right back. You know, I'll, I'll come search for you guys. So we had our pictures taken and filled out all the paperwork. And then she came back and was like, okay, uh, let's see what you guys can do. So we and a few of my other friends, my cousin who gave me a ride to the location, we all ended up doing a capoeira performance for the casting director. And I feel like that really solidified my um, chances of having any sort of appearance in the movie. When you auditioned, was there like thousands and thousands of people out there? Um, it was a lot. It was over a thousand people mm. um, in line. <laughs> but so, so many black, beautiful people all in one space, decked out, you know, all different types of uh, attire. Um, and it was a beautiful sight to see because I rarely get a chance to see like that many people, that many beautiful black people in one spot. Uh, what did they make you do in your like one-on-one audition? Um, for the the there was no one-on-one audition. It was actually just you take a photo, fill out you know your information, your measurements, and things like that. And if you kind of look the part, mm-hmm. then you might be walking somewhere in the background, you know, um, in any sort of a scene. But I feel again like I feel like doing the capoeira that 
put me in a position to actually be one of the warriors, the border tribe warrior, mm. um, which uh, protect the borders of Wakanda. So the border tribe was the good people, the yes. good guys? <laughs> <laughs> which is interesting because in a part of the movie, the border tribe is the tribe that actually attacks uh, T'Challa um, because Killmonger is the king. Mm. And then we also fight against the Dora Malaje as well. So after the audition, how long did it take for you to, uh, for them to be like, oh yeah, you got the part? Were you still in Atlanta, or did you have to fly back? No, I I flew back, and you know, just was like, well, you know, maybe I'll hear something, maybe I won't, but uh, gave it a shot, um, and I flew back, and it was just interesting because I do an annual. Um, this is pre-COVID, obviously. I do an annual um, cultural event where I bring my mestre, my teacher. Uh, from Brazil and his wife, who's also a Capoeira Mestre, and a few other uh, people to teach workshops and do like a cultural exchange directly from the source here in the Bay Area. And it was around that time that they had arrived that Friday. And then we had did our training that Saturday. And then Sunday was supposed to be the rest day. So I was like, well, my guests don't have anything to do. They can rest. So that's when I flew out like Saturday night. Mm. Rest, uh, slept in the airport and then Sunday morning went to the um, audition and then came back Sunday night and then Monday morning went back to teaching and training the Capoeira for the rest of the event after the event was over so I want to say about two weeks that's when I received an email email saying that you, you, you you're casted yes did you like jump up and down and <laughs> I was doing some cartwheels yes <laughs> some backflips <laughs> After you, so after you got the the casting email, how long did it uh, take for you to go back and start filming? What was the time frame? Um, let's see. It was during the. Let's see. It was during the summer. Yeah, during the summer. Um, of that year. 2017, I think it was, because uh, Panther was released in 2018, I think, I believe. Mm. Yeah. Now, what was it like on? What was it like filming there? Oh, uh, it was, it was challenging because of the call time being so early. So you have to wake up early, be there at 5:30 in the morning. So the movie was filmed in Atlanta. Yes, or at okay. least our scenes. There were some parts that were um, filmed, I believe, like in Korea. Um, as well and that's part of the movie but yeah the majority of the parts were filmed in Atlanta Mm -hmm. so uh, let's see oh sorry so during November is when I went for the audition and then a couple months later around January February is Mm -hmm. when I had to fly back out for the filming Um, so yeah so being there kind of early 10 to 13 hour uh days um there was a segment where we just went through choreography we went to fight choreography we went through uh stunt falls um and just training with uh some of the dora milaje and and doing some fights and falls and uh getting us prepared and then getting um fitted shaving the hair in a certain way um so it was all fun uh the catering was phenomenal (laughs) Now, since it was a black, it was sort of a black movie, <laughs> did they have black food? <laughs> um, they had a wide, they had a wide assortment, um, like string beans and shit. <laughs> no, just everything. They had you know salmon. They had uh, you know vegetables, fruits, uh, different variations of meats. Because it was um, it was like a wide array of stuff. It wasn't any sort of sp- particular style i want to say but not any sort of black per se or uh african uh food but because there were chefs on deck mm. to like cook whatever you want. so if you want an omelet you can make it any way you want they'll make it they'll make some sandwiches for you they'll put together uh like pasta you know so they like i said the <laughs> the catering was on point and they, they set you guys up in like hotels and shit <laughs> not for me not for my area again i'm like i'm um featured background so it was just fortunate that i have family in atlanta and so i was staying uh with my cousin um suli who's also a, a martial artist and staying with him 
while going back and forth to set and going back and forth uh, to film. Now, if you're like um, a featured uh, actor or just like higher up in the totem pole, then I'm pretty sure you get put up in certain areas. But for so this back, one, background actors, even though you're there for multiple days, you just got to find your own uh, like room and board. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they notify they know they tell you that beforehand. Um, I think they just assume because they give you the dates of when they're going to film and then you let them know if you're available or not before committing to anything. Yeah. You know, how long were you out there? Uh, for about close to three weeks, three weeks. Yeah. Yeah, I took off work (laughs) to to work. (laughs) Now, was there any, uh, drama on the set? Do you have any stories? <laughs> um, Chad, would you walked in on Chadwick like smack, <laughs> smacking a bitch or something? <laughs> um, it was it was it was surreal working with Chadwick because he was really cool, a little bit to himself, and I think he had to be that way because you're all around like so many people. Um, and I was also able to connect with um, his trainer, um, Maurice Crump, who's also a black uh, martial artist. Um, specializes in very, he's also does capoeira, ninjutsu, uh, Muay Thai as well. Really, really cool guy. Um, did some fighting with Tony Ja, uh, star of like Ong Bak and things like that. So got, again, making, um, building relationships with folks. Uh, and then seeing Ryan Coogler, uh, just command the space uh command respect but then also i feel like he he was like one of the realest people there like his slang like how he dressed he was like you know baggy pants he had the tupac shirt on you know with a golden state like beanie hanging off to the side and like all right y'all see what i'm saying we're gonna go here all right we need the wakanda warriors you guys are gonna come in on three okay uh killmonger killmonger i want you standing like this see what i'm saying i i i okay all right let's get it you know and then just (laughs) just be (laughs) There's a shirt dedicated to like his his uh, mannerisms and and uh, slogans and stuff that he would he would say it's pretty hilarious. Mm. Um, but just it, I was like starstruck to just be on the set and then also knowing that this is going to be something big. This is going to be something meaningful. This is going to be powerful. Uh, this is going to be like um, our black Star Wars, you know, sort of speak or our black Harry Potter. Mm. Um, that's that was the feeling just excited to be there and there was a real strong showing of unity um i want to say because for example uh we all got together and we was like hey you know what on the set we are not going to use the n-word you know we're gonna keep it cordial and you know be whatever you know be yourself and things like that but there's many people who are not black and we have this opportunity to carry ourselves in a certain manner so on set, everyone refrained from like using the N word while we were filming and uh, while we we're preparing to work, and I felt that was kind of cool. Did uh, you so. ever see Angela Bassett on set? No, I did not see Angela Bassett on set. The scenes that I was that I was in were so you never saw that ass in, in, in real life. <laughs> no, sir. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that sucks. Um, uh, Shuri, she was there. She was cool. Um, who else? Lupita, mm. <laughs> Lupita, you she saw was, her in person. Yes, mm. she was there. It was uh, our scene was more towards the end when there was a big, fa- uh, big battle between the um, the Jabari and the Border Tribe, and we were fighting against also Black Panther and Shuri and um, Lupita are fighting against uh, Killmonger. So that's the the scene that I was involved in. Mm. Now uh, after that. Then came Avengers, or was Avengers? Yeah. Avengers was after. After that, yeah. And to be honest, I thought like it was a huge experience, a great experience, you know, huge opportunity. So I was like, okay, cool, go back to you know normal life. That was great, great. And then all of a sudden, um, maybe yeah, after release the release of Black Panther, you know, it was great. Um, I got a call, and the lady was like, yeah, we want to. Uh, you to come back and uh, work on Mary Lou. And I was like, what? Mary Lou, the gymnast? And I was like, what's that? And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. Um, 
Avengers. It was like, oh, okay, uh, hold on. What'd she say Mary Lou for? Because they have, uh, when they're filming, they have tentative titles for mm. the film so that they can kind of work without people trying to find out more stuff or they have, uh, you know, posters up where you're supposed to go to set and film. And if they see like Avengers, then they're going to have a whole bunch of paparazzi and people trying to get, you know, the latest scoop and things like that. So even the, um, the, ten, uh, the working title for Black Panther was Motherland, mm-hmm. you know, so, you know, all our emails would be like, okay, here's your schedule this week for Motherland instead of like Black Panther. Mm. You know? Did you have a bigger role in Avengers or it was the same type of shit? It was uh, the same role, but <laughs> I got more screen time. Like I can spot myself a lot more um, in Avengers Infinity War. And I think we we're, uh, yeah, we were doing more work um, as far as fighting on Infinity War. So you can literally say that you were a part of like two of the biggest movies what was it that year or within yeah uh, the last couple of years yeah i was the i can say that i was uh i contributed to the first what billion dollar uh film by a black lead mm-hmm. and a black uh director i was a part of that mm-hmm. and then another billion dollar uh film with um infinity war so yeah i mean that's, that's a good catalog i guess i helped <laughs> <laughs> Now, when you are you originally from? Uh, where are you originally from? I was born in Inglewood, California, and mm-hmm. then uh, moved to Detroit, Michigan, and kind of grew up there. Even started Capoeira there, and then at nineteen, I moved to the Bay Area, and I'm in Oakland, California. How old were you when you started doing Capoeira? Uh, Sixteen. 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 What did you start doing it for? Any specific reason or? I was always into martial arts, you know, ever watch since watching Bruce Lee, uh, Last Dragon. You know, like people call me like Bruce Lee Roy because mm-hmm. um, I look look like the actor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Capoeira in general, uh, it, it was just so intriguing, like watching uh, playing the video game Tekken 3 and seeing um, for the people who don't know, Tekken 3 is a, a fighting game similar to Street Fighter where everybody comes from a different uh, country, but also has their country's kind of like uh, specific fighting style. So there's this guy from Brazil and he's like dancing around and, and fighting on his hands and doing all these amazing kicks. And I was like, man, that's amazing. Um, I knew it was Capoeira because of, before that, there was the movie um, Only the Strong, which that was, I feel like, the majority of everyone's exposure to uh, Capoeira. But I had a chance to start training there at a YMCA because I saw a um, flyer for a Capoeira. Mm. So, yeah, I started at a YMCA in Detroit. So, Tekken 3 is the reason you started doing... Tekken 3, only the strong. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you've been doing it since you were 16. Uh, what's the hardest thing about like learning it? Um, the hardest thing about learning is balancing all the different aspects. Um, because with it being a martial art and that's what it represents for me, the beauty of the art form is that it can represent different things for different people. Uh, but for me, the beauty of the martial art is that it has the self-defense aspect. It has the physical aspect to keep you healthy, mobile. If you train it that way, um, the musicality. Uh, but in also the history and the culture with it being the result of the African diaspora, um, even though it comes from Brazil. Um, so the diff- the difficult thing to do is kind of making sure that as you focus on one thing, you don't forget about the other things. And that can happen over time. Mm. Yeah. Do you remember your first teacher? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Is he still alive? Yes, he is. My first teacher was Barrett uh, Leverett. He's still in Michigan, um, and uh, I believe he trains uh, Muay Thai now. Mm. Now, have you ever went to Brazil and, and trained with anyone in Brazil? Yes, I've been to Brazil multiple times, trained with many Mercedes, and I did my pilgrimage um, to the Mecca, Bahia, 
um, and I've lived in Brazil um, for a little over a year. And pre-COVID, I travel back to Brazil annually and bring my teacher and other teachers uh, here to the States so that they can do a cultural exchange and help my students get better. So why do you, why is it that when it comes to like martial arts, like Kung Fu, karate, all that shit, why do you think that a lot of black people, black men and women don't uh, like study? When you go to like these karate schools and shit, there's not a lot of black, there are probably like one or two mm-hmm. black kids in there mm-hmm. or probably none at all, most likely. So why do you think um, black people don't uh, veer toward uh, learning martial arts when it comes to like physical activity? They they go more to like sports, like basketball, football, but never to martial arts hardly. Well, I think it's um, it's it's kind of complicated in a way. Um, I've seen some schools where there's the majority uh, of the students are black, but that is because. The teacher is black and he is teaching in a predominantly black neighborhood, mm-hmm. um, predominantly black neighborhood. Um, so there are some instances like that. Well, that's probably because he's trying to he's specifically trying to grab black kids. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about a random school. Like, you right. j- yeah, mm-hmm. um, I think it's uh, the for one, the, the community. So if there's not a lot of black people in the community in general, you're not going to get a lot of black people in the art form per se. Um, maybe, but it's less likely. And the reason why we tend to lean more, uh, towards sports is two reasons. One, there's money to be made from sports. There's more quote unquote, there's easier competitions. Um, uh, when I say easier then uh, you see more tournaments and things like that. You can have a church, you know, tournament of mm-hmm. a basketball or like people at your work, you know, can have a, you know, a basketball or a sport, you know, baseball kind of tournament. And we have so many parks where um, you can just play basketball or you can just play soccer or, or whatever, um, football. Um so it's readily accessible for people and martial arts tends to be a little bit more niche, like a little bit more exotic because there's the uniforms that are involved. There's, mm. you know, uh, the location, whereas if the weather is good, we can just go out and somebody got a basketball. We can go just play basketball all day. doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to go out for a team or try to be like in the NBA. Um, but it's easily accessible to folks. So I feel like that's why people tend to do it a little bit more. And what's promoted out there is, for example, um, the, the, the drinks or the, the, the shoes and things like that are the athletes. Not, and, but when I say athletes, you see Michael Jordan, you see LeBron James, you know, Penny Hardaway, uh, you know, Forrest Grant and, um, all those different types of, uh, athletes from and just using basketball because it's easier to latch on to basketball but you don't see like any sort of martial artist having any endorsements to that level you know mm-hmm. let alone like you get a few movies you know here and there but again like it's not as accessible to the youth as it is the other sports and things like that because a commercial you'll see that multiple times you know mm-hmm. a day why do you think black people should do martial arts? I think everyone should, but black people in general, um, self of imp- uh, a sense of self-empowerment to realize what you are capable of, what challenges um, you're able to overcome, um, gives you a sense of uh, unity and uh, community. And it just helps you to understand really who you are through those trials, because through the challenges, that's where you learn how to build your character, Mm. you know? Um, And that's, yeah, that's what I feel like they, everyone should learn martial arts, should learn how to defend themselves. Um, 
because it's an amazing feeling. When you were growing up in Los Angeles and when you were studying capoeira and then let's say, I'm pretty sure you got into a fight. (laughs) (laughs) Did you bust out capoeira moves when these other niggas are trying to do some street fight (laughs) shit? Um, Well, when I was in Detroit, there were a few times where someone would come to the school and be like, hey, you know, I do this particular style. Like, let's, you know, let's see. And um, it was always, it was always with capoeira in particular, a little bit easier because capoeira leans to being cunning. There's a certain thing uh, called malicia where you use your street smarts, you use your wits more so than just like, okay, I'm going to square up with this guy. You mm. know? Um, so it was much easier to use capoeira in that sense instead of just the punch or the kick or the headbutt or the knee, you know, um, because the element of surprise connecting that to the Africans that were being enslaved, the element of surprise is one of their strongest weapons that they were able to use to escape enslavement. So being in a uh, physical confrontation there's the same thing, you know, being able to use your wits, get the person to look a certain way and then do something else. So, so you'll be arguing with someone the next thing, you know, you just do a roundhouse kick. <laughs> well, that's the thing is like not even uh, arguing, like being understanding how the other person might even want to get to a into a conversation, a confrontation. And if you feel like it's going to be something that you can't get out of, then there's like, yeah, there's many ways. You pretend to tie your shoe and then boom. <laughs> there's a kick from the ground to the head, but you didn't even see it coming. Yeah. That's like sneak. That's like, we call that sneak hitting somebody. Mm-hmm. Okay. So has Capoeira kept you out of trouble when you were growing up, when you were learning this? Um, some people, like some hood, some kids who grew up in the hood, they're like, oh, I played basketball. It kept me from... Yeah. Being in the streets and shit, you know? Yeah, Capoeira definitely just consumed, you know, my life in a way. Um, and there were opportunities to get into drugs or fall into the wrong crowd. Um, but fortunately, you know, I was never pushed uh, to do that. There was always things going on around, and I'm a very observant type of person. Um, but... I never felt like really uh, pressured to fall into those types of crowds or put myself in those types of situations. Maybe because also because I was doing so much capoeira in general, mm. you know, that was a big thing. Um, but our school, Filius Gibimba, is an organization that does a lot of work in Brazil and in um, Lebanon and, and Canada and, and Texas, all over the the world where... Um, they work with at-risk youth and mentor them, uh, provide them with uh, food, and even currently provide uh, families with um, sanitary packs uh, so that they can, you know, have disinfectant wipes, have masks, but also going back to the youth, mentor them to give them different options so they don't need to be in the streets doing things that they, you know, have more options not to be doing. So you have a uh, that that was your school that you just yes described. Okay. Filush Jibimba. and um, when was that uh, created? Filush Jibimba. Woo, man, that was the early nineties. Filush Jibimba. Um, my teacher, uh, Mastery Nenel, uh, is the son of the famous Capoeira Mastery uh, Mastery Bimba, and Mastery Bimba. To put it lightly, is basically like the Bruce Lee of Capoeira. So Capoeira used to be illegal. So mm-hmm. if you were doing anything pertaining to Capoeira, they would catch you. They would tie like you illegal the- in Brazil. Yes. Why was it illegal? Uh, because it gave the now quote unquote freed um, Africans and their descendants um, a weapon to protect themselves, to liberate themselves. But also, once the Africans were and their descendants were freed, there was no structural uh, format in place to welcome them into society. No stimulus checks, no nothing like that. And they were still viewed as second, you know, second class citizens. 
So most of them had to resort to making a living any way they can. So some of them form gangs. Some of uh, the capoeiristas, you know, were bodyguards for politicians. Mm. Um, you know, and that was a real dark time for a capoeira's history. And capoeira was prohibited by law. Um, also, that was also the time when it got a very bad uh, stigma, very bad reputation. It would be like someone being a drug dealer, you mm. know, um, looked down upon. And capoeira almost became extinct. And because of Master Bimba, he was able to be allowed to teach capoeira with government, you know, supervision. And he was the first one to be able to open a, an academy and teach and get capoeira recognized as Brazil's national sport, all from this man, Master Bimba, being black, being illiterate, being poor. And because of his genius and tenacity, he was able to get it um take capoeira from being extinct and looked down upon and marginalized to become a part of brazil's nationality so now that capoeira is in all over the world mainly because master bimba was able to open the door for those folks and my teacher is the son of master bimba mm. was there any time that it was looked down upon teaching capoeira to like white people Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not teaching you because you're white and we don't want to teach you our secrets and shit like that. Um, like, there was a story, even of Master Bimba, where uh, a martial artist um, looked for him and Master Bimba was, you know, busy working. And the guy heard of Master Bimba and how good he was and was like, hey, I want to learn from you. And the guy was like, no, you're white. You won't be able to handle it. You won't be able to stick it out. Mm. But the guy was persistent. Um, and Master Bimba decided to, you know, after testing him, uh, accept him, you know, as a student. And there has been some instances where the focus has been to teach more people of color. The focus has been to teach more black people um, because it's, it's very different. It's very different in what I've experienced where a black family will approach me and be like, hey, I know that this has something to do with the African diaspora. I want you to teach my son how to defend themselves to where someone who is not black will come. Hey, you know, I do this type of dance or I do this type of movement. And I saw Capoeira um, at a gym mm -hmm. and I felt like it was very exotic and in very intriguing. So, you know, that's why I started to like take up the class or take lessons in mm -hmm. Capoeira. And it's different for everyone why they start. But the beauty is that with all these different types of people and ethnicities, um, they all can learn from each other. So the person who just wanted to learn some exotic movements can also be exposed and respect the history of where it comes from. And someone also who is learning to defend themselves also will understand how to relate to someone who doesn't look like them so that we can also support one another as well. Do you guys have different levels of uh, of capoeira? Yes. Um, some capoeira schools have adopted the 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 Asian way of of like a belt system progression. Some schools don't use some capoeira schools don't use any belts at mm -hmm. all, but they have some sort of progression uh, system in place. Our school, uh, Phyllis Gibimba, our um, Progression is that you take different courses, and once you complete those courses, you receive a silk scarf. And what that silk scarf represents is that in the old school time, um, capoeiristas would have the barber straight razors, you know, as a weapon. Mm -hmm. And the, so the capoeiristas would wear the silk scarves around their neck because it would protect from getting cut from the razor around the neck. So um, in our school, we kind of preserve that. Um, that legacy and you receive different scarves um, depending on which uh, course you complete. So your skill level is what? Way up there. <laughs> <laughs> Are you considered like a master? Um, by many, yes. Um, so a master is when you're able to teach, basically? No, not even. Um, it's, it's very hard to put capoeira into a like, strictly defined category or as organized as what a, like Asian martial arts, um, which is 
take it for what it is, is good or bad. You know, someone can like you can learn from me for like two years and then mm. let's say you move to Miami and you want to keep training, mm. but you know, you need someone to train with. So you, you know, find a place or even like at a park. So you, then you start teaching so that you can continue training. And then maybe, you know, you come back to where, um, maybe you come back to our school and train with me a little bit, get some more information, or maybe you bring me out there and then slowly but surely you start to develop your own students and your teaching method. And now you start a school mm. in, in Miami. That is a possibility. Um, but in Phyllis Jibimba, you, um, get a diploma and then you are officially recognized as a teacher of, uh, capoeira. Mm. So for me, I was the first African American in my capoeira school to, um, be recognized as a teacher of capoeira. And once I completed the next course, which is the specialization course where you get ambushed in the forest i was the first um american to complete that wait wait wait, wait. <laughs> explain that sipping my water <laughs> you get ambushed in the forest yes like a fight like a fight and you got to fight them off mm -hmm. so like um, a real fight or y'all just playing around so i'm gonna tell you okay so this is also uh traditions that master bimba put together when Africans would escape um, enslavement, they would run into the forest and the bush captains would go after them trying to reclaim their property. So this ambush is kind of like the guerrilla warfare that the Africans would have to go through in order to stay free. Mm. Um, and also Capoeira comes from the location in the forest. It's a Brazilian um, indigenous uh, Brazilian term. So because of all these Africans were escaping into the capoeira, then the art form became known as capoeira that they were using. Mm. So that's what it's connected to. And basically you take a course, a specialization course where you use the different resources of capoeira as a self-defense. And then you go into the forest and have to get to point A to point B. And um, yeah, these are other uh, students who have already completed the course, you know, so you're outnumbered. Um, but yeah, you, you definitely learn it's a, it's a, what is it? Simulation, but you definitely learn what really works and what is kind of like Hollywood movie, you know, fight choreography, but yeah, you have to fight against like multiple people. Like real fight. Yeah. You know, there's no, there's no gloves, <laughs> no protective <laughs> gear. You know, and no one, no one, like, fortunately, because it's done with a certain amount of care, there has been no serious injuries, you know, from Master Bimba's time to my Master's time, you know, up until now, you know, there's, you get bumps, bruises, cuts, and, you know, had a bloody eye, but no one seriously was injured and, like, had to go to the hospital. Do they throw women in there, too? Oh, yes. Um, my teacher's wife... Mastera Pregisa, she completed all of the different courses. So the cor she completed that, the ambush course, right? Mm. And then the course after that is you defend yourself against knives and sticks and, and guns, you know? So she completed that also. So she's at, at the highest level you can obtain. So there's been a few women mm. um, in our school that have done that. And I don't, and this is just my opinion, I don't know many Capoeira schools that do this type of training unless they are emulating what our school does. Mm. You know, you can train Capoeira and have uh, some challenging exchange and challenging, call them games, right? Uh, games between somebody, but to say like specifically, here is a course on how to use Capoeira to defend yourself in the streets. To my knowledge, nobody does that except for Phyllis Jibimba, mm. unless they are emulating Phyllis Jibimba and Master Jibimba's work. Are Capoeira masters like celebrities in Brazil? Like many they, many like, of them are. They, they're walking around and like the girls are throwing a pussy on them and shit. <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> um, they're popular. <laughs> they're popular. Uh, no, they're, well, oh, wow. <laughs> 
they people are people uh-huh. and capoeira does give you some confidence and it so does give you some uniqueness like the way that you move the position of power um men or women but uh yeah masters in in brazil um sometimes tend to be you know popular mm. with <laughs> women now explain this uh this instrument that you brought uh yes what's it called what's it used for this instrument that i brought is called the birimbau um it comes from west africa there's many variations in the continent of africa but when it arrived in brazil this is what it evolved into um you know started off with the bow obviously um so this is used to um command the rhythm of the movements because of uh, capoeira's african roots it's very rhythmic a lot of people think that or they i want to say regurgitate the legend that capoeira's a fight disguised as a dance you know the uh capoeira was outlawed so they were just disguising it as something and um from my research uh, i mean i can see i can see that cuz it kind of looks like like break dancing a little bit that yeah. type of shit and from my research is that's not really the case because there's document legal documentation of gathering in circles and dancing and loud drumming and um a curfew that was already implemented before capoeira became illegal so for them to disguise it as dancing mm. and still be congregating that was already something that was illegal so they couldn't do either or and i think that it's because of its african roots that is why the art form is rhythmic because music and dance permeates everything of african culture so because music is so important this dictates the rhythm of your movements uh whether they be slow medium pace or like very fast um and it's also we sing while playing um and that kind of creates the inner helps creates the energy and uh the mantra as we slip into the the trance like state you know mm-hmm. and get into the zone when we're training mm mm-hmm. what are what are these made out of bamboo um no it's a different type of uh brazil wood wood that's found in brazil uh biriba and i can play it for you if you like <laughs> yeah pl- go ahead wrote a song about it like here here you go <laughs> Keta, we have this hashishi and this dobrao. So even though it's one string, you know, uh, metal wire, mm-hmm. there's many rhythms that you can uh, play on this, and a few of which Master Bimba created himself. So. I'll just do like a few rhythms for you. Yeah. And then um real good with the sound and stuff. I can make it work. Cool. Sure. That's uh, Sao Bento Grande and one of Master Bimba's rhythms. Uh, this other rhythm is called Cavalarinha. And um, historically, it was the warning rhythm that the capoeiristas would play to let them know that the police, the cavalry, were coming. So, mm. And if you listen closely, it kind of sounds a little bit like the galloping of the horses as they're arriving. That's it. <laughs> I can do more. Uh, yeah, you have another one. Yes, yeah. Well, with this one, 
what I'll do is I'll do a song while playing. Oh, sim, 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 oh, não, 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 e vai você, vai você, Dona Maria, como vai você, vai você, vai você, Dona Maria, como vai, e vai você, vai você, Dona Maria, como vai você? Esse jogo bonito e o que eu quero aprender. Dona Maria, como vai você? What was that song about? And there you go. Um, the first one, oh, sim, 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 oh, now, 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 which means yes, 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 no, no, no. Um, and all the songs are symbolic. So what you say yes to right now, you might say no later on and mm. vice versa. Um, Dona Maria, Dona is the lady of the house. The, the nickname or the title of the lady of the house, Maria is Mary. Como vai você is how are you? Mm. And there's many uh, public domain songs, which are the two that I sang. Um, so it doesn't matter really what capoeira school you may go to. You're always going to hear, you know, you're more likely to hear those types of songs. And then there's other songs that um, people have created. Some people from our school and um, other capoeiristas as well have created certain songs that, you know, different schools sing as well. And this is the beating bow. Beating bow. Beating bow. Now, when you, uh, yeah, when you, um, I mean, learning capoeira, mm -hmm. do you learn how to play the beating bow by the same person who's teaching you how to fight? Yes. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. So they know all the shit. Yes. If they are a good teacher, uh, meaning not a good teacher, I take that back. If they are at a certain level, um, And generally in a role of teaching, uh, specifically like running a school, mm. then they need to have all aspects covered. And learning how to play the instruments is one of them. Okay. Have you ever met a teacher who can't play the bin and bow <laughs> and said, Matt, you're a fucking fraud? Uh, let me see. <laughs> I met, uh, I've met some people who are higher up and their music is not as good mm. as other aspects of their capoeira. But those types of people, the majority of them will invite others, people, even if they're lower ranked to like help them improve. And the only reason they may not be good at, for example, the music is only because they haven't made time to really improve it. Mm. Okay. So. so you're fluent in Spanish? No. What, <laughs> was that Portuguese? Portuguese. Oh, Portuguese. Um, okay. I can speak a little bit of Spanish, but uh, I'm much better in Portuguese. So, yeah. I One of the other reasons that I moved to Brazil is because I wanted to improve on how to speak Portuguese because I didn't want to be one of those American martial artists who was high up in the ranks, but then couldn't speak the language. And I feel like knowing the language helps you to connect a little bit more with the culture mm. as well. So out of respect for the culture, I wanted to push myself and learn how to speak Portuguese as well. Where in Brazil were you living? Oh, I was all over the place. Um, I went to Sao Paulo. Um, Serra, also Minas Gerais, and the place where I now spend the majority of the time is called Bahia, which translated to English means the bay. Um, and also Bahia has the highest um, percentage of highest population of African descendants outside of the continent. So that's why you have such strong um, African diasporic expressions that come from Brazil such as capoeira, such as samba, mm. um, and such as uh, condomble, which is the religion, um, the Afro-Brazilian religion, and even the foods such as uh, feijoada as well. So what was it like, uh, that transition from living in America, being born in America, being American, and then living in uh, another country as Brazil? Um, I mean, I know you studied the culture and you were like into like the culture and, 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 and this martial art, yeah. but was it, uh, did it take some time to get used to where you like, 
shocked on like the um well i don't know the poverty level or shit like that yes uh the poverty is way more intense there Mm -hmm. you know unfortunately um but there's there was a culture shock with how challenging things are there as far as to like make a living and try to make a living receiving less money or the money that you make doesn't go as far Mm. um and that was very sad um to to witness but in other aspects there was so much like a feeling of home particularly in the blacker neighborhoods that i would be because how we are with each other like nicknames that we give each other how we tease each other how we um compliment each other how we you know dance and a little bit of the you know for lack of a better term a little bit of the swag was uh like similar um in particularly in bahia um and also i had a friend who i made in in brazil who we had a conversation he was like yeah even though we're you're in south america i'm in north america whatever we have similar struggles because of you know because we're black, we understand the struggle that we go through a little bit uh, more than other people would understand. Mm. And it was it was a strong connecting moment, you know. Okay. How long were you there? Uh, I lived in Brazil, but uh, I would go sometimes twice a year for the last eight years or so. Okay. Mm-hmm. You got any kids in Brazil? <laughs> no. That you don't know about? I know about all of them that do not exist. <laughs> I know about all the kids that I don't have. Okay. What, uh, so you said earlier that you, you do something where you bring mm-hmm. people from, teachers from Brazil to yes. mix with people, teachers in America? Is that yeah, correct? I, um, so I run a school, uh, Phyllis Jibimba, California Bay Area, mm. um, here in the East Bay. So, Every year, I would bring my teacher, his wife, who who is also my teacher, you know, and have them uh, teach my students. You know, so, so they're they're in Brazil, right? They're yes. coming from Brazil. They're coming okay. from Brazil. So you bring them to the states to yeah. teach these American mm-hmm. students. Okay. Yeah, and even other and invite other Capoeira schools as well to come through and and uh, learn because uh, our Capoeira school represents a specific, not a style, but represents a specific lineage. Mm. And this lineage has like influenced the entire world of, you know, capoeira. So now do these, do these students know that? Like, oh, do they know how uh, uh, this guy is like the son or whatever? Well, I of the, of the original creator or some shit. I, I do try as my best to kind of like um, transmit that knowledge and, mm. and appreciation. I think what I try to do best is transmit as much information as possible. So that when you have more knowledge about something, you have more value about it. If you're just like, oh, this is so-and-so. Okay, cool. Oh, this is Mestri so-and-so. Then people are like, oh, okay. And this is Mestri so-and-so, son of Mestri Bimba. Oh, okay. Mm. And then they, you know, ask more questions and things mm. like that. Or want to know about, well, okay, how, what was it like training with your father? What was your father like? You know, um, you know, Mestri Bimba also um, went uh, into the... Valley Tudo, which are the MMA of Brazil, way back before MMA was a thing, um, and entered using his capoeira, and he was undefeated, you know. But then he also retired undefeated, saying that capoeira was not made for the ring. Capoeira was made to protect yourselves in the streets. Mm. How does your teachers feel about when they come to America and they teach these American students? Do they... Do they feel like these American students don't take it as serious as the Brazilian students? Um, in some regards, they feel like, you know, with my students um, and other people as well, in some regards, they feel like the Americans take it more serious mm. than the Brazilians. Because sometimes, you know, when you have full access to something all the time, you don't value it as much, mm. um, which is unfortunate. But not saying that all Brazilians, but there's some. Um so there's there's a full spectrum. Uh, knowing with us and my students, we know the value of this person coming here. We know the value of what they represent. So we are our mission is to support 
their well-being, you know, to support the fact that they can transmit that history and that culture to us. So we're very appreciative of mm -hmm. them and their existence and their their legacy. And we make sure that they're, you know, have food to eat and that they're okay. Besides just the movements that they're teaching us, we make sure that their well-being is taken care of as well. You know, because they also teach people how to be better human beings. Finish this sentence for me. Without capoeira, my life would be unfulfilling. Great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, if I can just, you know, put a perspective like capoeira gives my life meaning because all the things that I've benefited from, the, the mentoring of the youth, um, knowing of how to protect myself and be aware in the uh, certain situations, um, opportunity to connect with other people, like in some form, Capoeira has been present, you know, either at the forefront or in the background mm. in that. So as I have this tattoo on my arm that says, I am Capoeira, and every day, you know, I am Capoeira, and I prove that. Okay. Well, this is the point where I want you to promote whatever you want to promote. If you want to tell the people where they can find you, your Instagram, mm -hmm. give them information on your school. If there's like a mother out there who has a badass kid. Where's always the bad kids? <laughs> and trying to find somewhere to put them. If to you calm have a well-behaved child, come send them to, to me. <laughs> Tell them where your school is, where they can get in contact with you, and and yeah. and, and, and all that. For sure. Um, you guys can find me on social media. Type in Capoeira. That's C A P O E I R A. Capoeira. BayArea.com all one word you can even find me on instagram same thing um i also have my personal instagram which is mr malandro uh, my capoeira title name is professor malandro malandro means trickster mm. giving um con artist <laughs> bad guy street smart um and then also our YouTube, where I drop a few instructional uh, videos on how to do all the basic Capoeira movements. Um, that is also Capoeira Bay Area. And my YouTube, Mr. Melandro, which is uh, more of the stunt um, choreography and work that I've uh, done as well. So Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and the website, CapoeiraBayArea.com. I teach kids and adults. Um, all the information is there. We generally have classes Tuesdays and Thursdays for kids in person. Adults are on Zoom in the evenings and then all levels class on Saturday, um, 11 to 1230. Also, I work with uh, my boxing coach, Bilal, who has the International um, Boxing Association or Institute. And we do a community class every Friday at Lake Merritt for kids. From three to four, they learn boxing, and from four to five, they learn capoeira. And there will soon be a Black Asian Solidarity um, event happening March 27th at Lake Merritt, um, the Pillars, where we will be doing self-defense, boxing, and other martial arts. I'll be able to hopefully contribute capoeira as a self-defense for the community, but it is a uh, gesture of solidarity for what's been happening, um, what has been brought to light most recently, but it has been happening, unfortunately, uh, with the violence towards the Asian community. All right. And also, look for him on Black Panther. He's the black guy in the background. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Avengers Infinity War as well. I'm standing behind uh, Scarlett Johansson, Black Widow. Mm. Well, how was that? <laughs> <laughs> it was great. They were like, hey, we need somebody to stand over here behind her. Oh, that, hey, I'll do oh yeah. That's me. Nice. I ain't going to ask you what's, <laughs> what's on my mind, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure we can put it together. But anyway, well, thank you, uh, Mr. Melandro, for coming on Everyday Celebrity Podcast. Like he said, follow him, look him up on all those all that information that he did um <laughs> yeah good brother uh very educational 
and he knows what he's talking about. He's a what do you call him? Master Master or whatever. <laughs> what do you call him? Masterday. Uh, Masterday. In the in capoeira. Yes. And capoeira. The good thing about capoeira is you can never be too old, too young. Mm-hmm. Don't matter if you're black or white, Asian. All it takes is a willingness to learn. Yeah. I don't even know if that's the what really is capoeira, but that's just what I just made up right now. No, it's, it's all good. There's a saying that, you know, if you don't want to learn, nobody can teach you. If you mm-hmm. want to learn, nobody can stop you. Exactly. And this is Everyday Celebrity Podcast, and we are out. You. Yep.